I was having lunch a couple of years ago with my optician. I know that sounds strange. We'd met while he was fitting me for new glasses. He was a couple decades older than me, but we really hit it off. I think the point of our connection was a conversation, a random conversation about Tolstoy. And we would get together and he would talk about Buddha and I would talk about Jesus and we seemed to have a lot in common. He said one time that he had a book he wanted me to read. This book had made such a significant impact to him spiritually. And he he really thought that I would enjoy it. And so we made plans to meet for lunch. And while we were eating, he apologized that he couldn't find the book. The one he wanted to give me. He'd searched all over his house. He had a massive library and he just couldn't find it. The difficulty, he said, was most of his books were in boxes and not on shelves. Years of moving had caught up to him. And so he was going to buy me a copy. Now, I appreciated his generosity, but I told him, I said, listen, I can just buy a copy myself. So I asked him, just tell me what the book's called. He looked at me in silence for a minute. He said, I, I, uh, I don't remember, but the cover of it is blue and there's a picture of a horse on the front. I didn't hold my breath <laughs> that he was going to find this book. A couple of weeks later, when he was in the city, he went to Indigo Books. He was feeling optimistic that they had it, but not hopeful that he could find it without a title. He figured he could narrow it down to a section relating to what the book was about. And so he walked inch by inch, scanning the thousands of books, looking for a blue spine. And when he would find a blue spine that matched the color he remembered, he would pull it off the shelf and see if there was a picture of a horse on the cover. Hours had passed, and so had inches as he slowly scanned up and down the shelving. And so a month later, he calls me, and he's telling me the story of his adventures that day at Indigo Books. His voice got louder, and I could tell that it was going to be a happy ending by both the volume and the speed of his storytelling. And can you believe it, he said? I found it. I couldn't believe it. That was an incredible feat for sure. I had so much curiosity as he had zeal (laughs) listening to him tell me the story. So I asked him the most obvious question. So what's the name of the book? As my friend was talking to me over the phone, I could hear the joy leave his voice. (laughs) I could hear the blood rush to his face. I still don't remember, he said. It's in the car. I'll drop it off this week. If that story wasn't true, I swear it would be a Buddhist teaching parable. After much contemplation about that encounter with my friend, I came to a realization. Sometimes it isn't the finding that's significant, it's the searching. My friend had a profound sense of accomplishment in finding that needle in a haystack. And for him, that's what it was really about. He set out to do the impossible. He entered a 20,000 square foot bookstore looking for a blue book with a horse on its cover. And he found it. Who cares what it's called? He could have walked in with a title and someone else could have fetched it for him. It wouldn't have had the same effect. I think sometimes life is like that. Sometimes the things that give us the most meaning don't often make sense to others. Because other people are missing the context, the story behind it. For my friend, compared to the searching his whole life before he found his voice in that book, those hours and days of merely trying to recover it pale in comparison. I think that truth unattached from experience is no longer truth. It's just information. Because you never forget a truth that sets you free. And the impact of that truth can inspire you 
to do unbelievable things. Luke records a story about this. In chapter 5, he's tracing Jesus' steps as he spends some time around the Sea of Galilee. On the northern shore, there's this port city of about 1,500 people called Capernaum. Jesus was visiting this, among other villages, along this coast. It was one of those small cities where Jesus was teaching and he was healing the sick. And chapter 5 of Luke's recollection of Jesus has him in this town as he's teaching in a house filled with the who's who of the religious community. Luke says that the Pharisees and teachers of religious law came from every village in Galilee to hear him. It's sold out. This is the house where the paralyzed man was carried up onto the roof because there was no room. And they lowered him down through a newly MacGyvered hole in the ceiling. It was quite the scene. Luke writes in five, chapter 5 verse 6 that after that experience, everyone was filled with awe saying, we have seen some extraordinary things today. It's what happens next that I want to talk about this morning. It's a whole story that takes place in only five verses. And now you know the context. Matthew continues, sorry, Luke continues writing this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a man named Levi sitting at his tax collecting booth. Jesus said, come follow me. And he did. He walked away from everything and he went with Jesus. Levi gave a large dinner at his home for Jesus and everyone was there, taxmen and other disreputable characters as guests at this dinner. The Pharisees and the religious scholars came to his disciples greatly offended. What is he doing, eating and drinking with misfits and sinners? Now Jesus overhears them and he responds, Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders, an invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out, Jesus said. Now, at the beginning of that passage, I said Matthew writes, but I'm reading out of Luke's gospel about a man named Levi, whose name will be changed to Matthew. But for our sake today, we're going to call him Levi. And in this story, Jesus has this incredible way of keeping everybody on their feet, no, no sooner had they been amazed, and within minutes, they're perplexed. Jesus walks out of a house and down the street, sees a taxation booth, and he asks the tax collector to join his Talmudim, to be one of his disciples. It was outrageous. Firstly, this Levi, or Matthew, worked for the oppressive government. And Rome was smart. Rome would hire Jewish contractors to collect some of their taxes. The brutal land taxes were collected by the Romans, but they would auction off the collection of toll taxes on goods transported through seaports and cities to tax farmers, tax collectors. Every couple of years, the toll collection would be awarded, auctioned off and awarded to a public contractor. They would bid on a region and pay in advance for the right to collect. And in doing so, they would adjust the taxes they collected in order to make a hefty profit. And that's why the public role of tax collector was looked down on with disdain. It was seen as dishonest by the Jewish people because they were charging such exorbitant levies. And many were Jewish working for Rome, the enemy to a free Israel. And what makes it worse is that not only do the religious leaders not like that Jesus is asking this traitor, this opportunist to be a disciple, but Jesus' own disciples 
who many of them were fishermen, must have been thinking, are you kidding me? This guy has ripped us off our whole life. They would know. The tax collectors are scalpers. And here's Jesus inviting this Levi to be one of them. No discussion, just three words. Come, follow me. Now to be fair, the same invitation was given to the disciples at some point. What's amazing is that Levi just gets up and leaves it all without hesitation. What is it that led Levi to leave it all? To just get up and walk away? How was this invitation understood? What would inspire him to leave this lucrative job, the security, the money, the connections? It wasn't that he was a lonely man. Later, he has a party at his house to celebrate his early retirement, and the place is filled with other tax collectors. He had friends. He had property, it seems. We aren't really going to know what it was that inspired him to leave it all. I don't think there's a definitive answer for us here. But I think the text implicates a definitive question for us. What would motivate you to do the same? Now, there's a different answer for every person listening to this this morning. But it's a good question that needs to be asked. I think this is more than just a job. I think there's something larger at work here that Levi is leaving behind. I met with a man this week who was on leave from his job. Well, he gets some necessary mental health help. He's wrestling with what going back to work will look like for him, since it was the place that seemed to feed his breakdown and almost ruined his marriage. So I asked him the obvious question, why do you feel the need to go back? You could do anything. Why go back there? He said it's because of the security, the money. It just pays so well. I looked at him and I said, yeah, but it seems to cost even more. Jesus would ask him, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? I don't think Levi was leaving a job that morning. I think he was leaving a way of thinking. Without changing your thinking, you can leave one bad thing only to ruin another. The invitation here was into something new. What is Levi saying yes to? Or maybe the better question is, what's he saying no to as he walks away? To me, that's what this story is all about. What is the truth that is setting Levi free? I think for many of us, we stay in unhealthy places because we just don't see any options. We may feel trapped, unworthy even. And I think for Levi, Jesus offered him an option he'd never considered. I don't know that he was miserable, but... I have to believe that something leapt inside his soul when Jesus offered him to come. Some people need permission, it seems, to choose life. Some people need someone else to believe in them, to give us the courage to believe in ourselves. In this encounter, Matthew is offered something unexpected, and he doesn't have any details, yet he knows it is enough, more than enough. And hours later, we find him hosting a large banquet for Jesus at his house, and he's invited all his friends from the business to come. A room full of tax collectors. Man, I'm trying to picture this. Probably a lot of Gucci. I bet the food was amazing. But consider how outrageous this looked. And to help you, 
consider how outrageous this looked. Can you think of a group of people that if you saw Jesus eating with, it would upset you? Uh, I'm sure you can. Just, just think hard enough. I'll wait. A group of people that if you saw Jesus eating with, would upset you. That's this moment. I think this would have been an uncomfortable lunch for the disciples. But it wasn't for Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't see the tables that separate us. And if he does see the tables that limit, the tables that come between us, he flips them over. Like when he went into the temple at Passover and flipped the tables of the money changers. What's different here is the tax collectors aren't overcharging for God, but Caesar. We can easily find ourselves on the other side of these proverbial tables, the things that separate us from each other. In the case of Levi, his table is a vocation seen in his culture as dishonest and disloyal, and for good reason. But Levi can be more. Levi is more. That table was probably seen as an opportunity when he first took the job, but maybe it quickly felt like a trap, like so many things in life. We may sit behind tables of dysfunctional relationships, tables of poor choices or broken dreams, and the table quickly becomes a stereotype and the person behind them an assumption. One of the hardest things to do is get up and walk away from these tables, if anybody would let us. And as ignoble as they are, even the taxman had friends because of his job. For Jesus to offer this opportunity to someone like Levi is absolutely absurd. We'd all be angry. Luke records that Levi then invites him back to his house for a party and announces his retirement. I love that Levi celebrates his new life with his old one, his workmates. I think Zacchaeus must have been there. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and Luke will write about him 13 chapters later. He'll tell us that this Zacchaeus, curious to see this Jesus again, will climb up a tree. And in that passage, Jesus doesn't tell Zacchaeus to follow him, but instead he wants to follow Zacchaeus back to his house for dinner. And Zacchaeus comes down from this tree that he's climbed to get a good look at Jesus and what he's up to, and he vows to give half of his massive wealth away to the poor. And Jesus declares that Zacchaeus has found some life, found something life-changing that day, a change of heart, a change of mind, wholeness. And it saved them from all he was before. You see, following Jesus isn't just about taking us somewhere. It's about making us into something. It's all about transforming us, not about transferring us. Jesus isn't interested in getting Levi into the kingdom of God, but getting the kingdom of God into Levi, a spirit of hope. But whenever Jesus asks someone to follow, there's this urgency that requires you to come as you are. Jesus asks the disillusioned ones sitting behind their tables of disappointment and failure, and I wonder if he asks them because they're ready. They don't have to think about it. To say yes to life means to simultaneously say to no, say no to what is robbing you. Later, Jesus helps us understand his motive when he's criticized by the religious who see him at Levi's house. Jesus declares he's come to bring redemption to those who need it. This story challenges me not because I'm stuck behind a table of stereotypes and assumptions, although that may be true. I'm challenged because there are people stuck behind their past and present, all because others won't, let, won't give them another chance. I believe Jesus is at work calling people to step out 
from around the stereotypes that they that have them stuck that they've been given and to follow Jesus towards life and I believe he's modeling something that those who are following him are to participate in Jesus doesn't look on the table he looks in the heart Luke writes that some of the religious seeing this party ask the disciples a question that clearly they have no answer for why does Jesus act like this why does your rabbi do this just when they were starting to like him. The disciples have no answer to this question, but Jesus overhears them and he responds. I don't know how he does it. The disciples clearly have no clue of what he's up to. Yet, what actually changed for Levi that day besides money and security, I think the most important thing he left behind was a mindset, was a mentality. Levi embodies the idea of changing your heart, your thinking to a better way. There are consequences to that choice, yes. But the opportunities, the potential, the freedom, the hope, the joy. Levi is leaving a way of thinking that led to a life that he was living. The truth is, we're all currently set up to produce the things we're currently producing. And if we don't like what we're producing, we need to change. I have no question Levi had questions. But did he leave everything to find the answers? Or did he just exchange questions that led nowhere for questions that lead somewhere? And I think it was a matter of life in exchange for death. The cost of finding a new life is leaving the old behind. Not many are willing to do that. They just want displacement. Can a better life just displace the old crappy one? No. You have to make room. You got to leave some stuff behind to create capacity for new, for different, for more. A new way of thinking requires us to leave the old one. And I think Levi knew what he was leaving and didn't quite know what it was he was gaining, but it felt like life. As Jesus looks across the tables you sit behind, what do the words come follow mean? What, what do they mean to you? What would you be walking away from if you could? Regret? Fear? Shame? Failure? I think the invitation of Jesus is to step away from those tables, from those mentalities that are taxing us, the ones that aren't working well for us anymore, and maybe never did. Jesus invites us to come there is more to see and you you have more to be